global shortages are causing farm input costs to skyrocket. A better way to farm shows you how to take control of inputs and maximize profits so you can farm the way you want. Now, from America's heartland, here's your host. Hey, welcome back to the A Better Way to Farm podcast. You know, we spend each and every day providing solutions for farmers to grow better crops and to make more money. Well, thank you for tuning into this podcast, and we appreciate all the love and support you give us right here on our social media platforms. Now, in today's episode, we have a fantastic guest. I'm going to talk a little bit about some different topics, but one especially uh, category that we feel like is very, very near to most of our hearts. Now, I hope you enjoy this episode. Our very special guest on today's episode started out like you and I, learning valuable life lessons at a young age on the farm, helping out with crops, livestock, and even being active in 4-H and FFA. She did that all while living in Minnesota, where she currently resides. However, she practices something a little different today than planting in straight roads. She's an acclaimed psychologist that specializes in working with the rural community. Like us at A Better Way to Farm, she gets to travel across the entire country and share her thoughts on mental wellness, resilience, rural mental health, and the unique aspects to farm and ranch stress. So please, if you would... Help me welcome to the show a new friend of mine and soon to be of yours, Miss Monica Kramer McConkie. Monica, I'm so glad that you could join us today and I could be speaking with you. Thank you very much for being here with me. Oh, it's great to be here. I'm so happy you guys invited me and are open to having this really important conversation. Yeah, you know, we we chatted a little bit kind of off air about this. And, you know, one of the unique things that we do at A Better Way to Farm is basically we spend most of our days helping growers, helping our clients kind of develop game plans so that they can become more successful with their farming operation, you know, build more yield or put more money in your pocket or whatever. We still try to recognize some of the real things that we all have to kind of get through and go through as life happens. A few months back, we actually had some uh, like a a series on succession planning. So we had some guests on that kind of talked about dealing with that stress, you know, kind of the one part of kind of what we're going to talk about here today, which is kind of all encompassing. But it's always nice to kind of bring those things to our growers and our clients that listen to us on this podcast platform, because honestly, mental health especially in the farming community, something that I almost feel like is a little maybe taboo or something. I'm not great with words, but it's kind of a foreign entity that certainly no one wants to talk about or even bring up. So when we dive into this, why don't you, I I know I did a fantastic job introducing you and and that's great, (laughs) but I think um, if you want to go ahead, introduce yourself a little bit better than I did, uh, tell us a little bit about where you're from and and kind of uh, that that backstory and then kind of what brought you to doing what you're doing today. Sure. Yeah, actually, that was a really fabulous introduction. I was like, wow, who is that person he's talking about? I stole half <laughs> of it from your website. So, <laughs> oh gosh, who wrote my website? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, so yeah, I grew up on a farm that my great grandparents started in Northwest Minnesota, and it's currently a fifth generation farm. So my parents, my brother, and my son, my middle son, are the folks that are operating the farm right now. My son would be the fifth generation. 
and uh, all crops. So corn, soybeans, and wheat, kind of on the edge of the sugar beet territory, but they just have never felt the urge to dive into sugar beets. I was just going to ask if your son has reached out to the A Better Way to Farm Facebook page and, and asked us to uh, to contact him. Oh, I should tell him. I need to tell him that. Yeah, he's a very new. He's just, they just brought him into the operation, just renting his, you know, as a way to kind of get him in. They've rented him some land this year. So he's out there checking the crops and making sure they're coming up and looking at weeds and all that good stuff, watching rainfall. And it's kind of fun. It's exciting to see it happen and to the farm to go on for another generation. So yeah, I grew up there. We had livestock off and on when I was a kid beef or hogs, but I actually showed dairy in 4-H because I was one of those kids that there was no way I was going to bond with a beef animal and two years later eat it. So I went the dairy route, got them as milk replacer calves, sold them as bread heifers and hit a lot of shows in between. So that was my growing up years and afterwards went to school for psychology and counseling and then started my career. Did you get into that field because you thought we were all crazy to do what what we did? You're like, I don't know how these people are doing this because livestock, especially livestock people, I think are absolutely insane. Uh, I've I've told several people that livestock to me are it's basically like trying to raise like teenagers, but only instead of doing like (laughs) one or two or three of them, it's like three or four or five hundred of them. Yeah, none of which listen very well. Yeah, no, it's tough. Our livestock farmers, I tell you what, I work with a lot of dairy farmers and it is, it's not friendly out there right now. And so lots of forces beyond their control that they're struggling with. But I, you know, I, people have asked me that question, like, how did you get into this? How did you decide? Well, I grew up, you know, I was a teenager in the eighties during the farm crisis And so I definitely remember very clearly my parents struggling with stress and anxiety. And unbeknownst to me, during that time, dad did seek out a therapist. And the only reason he sought out a therapist was because he was talking to a guy at the John Deere Implement in town, and that guy told him he was seeing a counselor. And so dad's like, well, if he's seeing a counselor, I can see a counselor. And that just right there shows the value of being vulnerable and sharing our stories. Because the whole trajectory of our farm and my life probably was greatly impacted by that decision that came about because that implement guy shared his story. So that's pretty powerful. That is very powerful. Wow. That's fascinating. That's fantastic. So as you kind of dove into that world and and now here you are practicing for some years, I, I don't want to say several, but but A you've lot. been <laughs> but you've been in practice. So what are some of those kind of coping mechanisms or strategies that farmers can utilize to kind of manage that daily stress that they have to go through? Yeah, that's a a huge question. So yeah, my role now in my career is the favorite work I've ever done. And that's I get to be a counselor to farmers and ranchers. I get calls every day. I'm out on farms every day. I'm on virtual sessions every day. And the coping piece is like what we spend the vast majority of our time talking about. And there's lots of things you can do to cope. There are really simple things 
that I talk about sometimes farmers are like, whatever, that solves none of my problems. And my point is, it may not solve your problems, but it positions you to be able to deal with those problems in a better way. So you're not feeling like you're drowning, barely coming up for water. It's like coping is at least keeping your head above water so that you can feel the hits that are coming your way. So it can range from really simple things like make sure you are drinking a lot of water throughout your day, or at least something other than beer, energy drinks, and pop or soda, depending on where in the country you are. Like take care of your physical body, because if you're not feeling good, if you're eating like crap, if you're dehydrated, life is going to throw those problems at you and you are going to be that much less able to deal with them. So just start with that. Yeah, I would agree with that completely. I, you know, it's interesting you even bring up water. That's something that is so easy to do, but something that I don't think any of us, especially, you know, I look at me and my family and I know that we're not drinking enough water. I, I follow a guy on social media and he's like, yeah, before you work out in the morning, make sure you drink a liter of water. I really didn't think about the quantity of, of a liter of water before you work out in the morning. The other day I had to stop and I ended up grabbing a liter of water from the, the fantastic Casey's. And I thought, oh, I'm supposed to get up at five o'clock in the morning and drink an entire liter yeah, of water. Yeah. So, but I think it's absolutely vital. Simple. It helps us think when we're already, so our farmers are chronically stressed. Our, and when I say farmer, I'm talking male, female, farm spouse, farm kids, very general. I mean, most of them are chronically stressed. So their brain has been taxed for a long time. And even just the water thing helps your brain function when it's already struggling to function. So it can be simple things like that, taking care of your physical self. Part of coping for our farmers is do not isolate. Like talk to somebody, find somebody that will hear you. When we're under stress, we tend to just close ourselves off. And how easy is that to do on a farm when you're working by yourself a lot anyway, you're in the tractor alone, you live down this long gravel driveway with trees all around your farm site, you don't interact with people a lot naturally anyway. And so isolating is like super easy, but it is detrimental. But I was just going to have you keep expanding on that because that was one of the questions that I was going to ask you was that we do for the most part, we all live very, very isolated lives. So what do you recommend or what are some of those things that, that we can be doing to kind of combat those feelings of like loneliness and, and, you know, being out on our own kind of like a support network or what are those things that we can kind of build to help us through that kind of feeling of loneliness? Yeah. And the hard part is there's typically not a lot of people lined up waiting and wanting to do that for you. So it's something you got to do for yourself. It's looking at what, what does your social network look like right now? Like, who do you have around you that is close to you, that believes in you, that cares about you, that invests energy into you? Like, those are your go-to people. And sometimes people feel like they don't have that. Like, everybody around them is very negative and not very helpful. So then it is up to you to develop 
those relationships, whether that's church, whether that's community organizations, whether that's fellow farmers, whether it's family members or friends, or sometimes it literally is like finding a counselor or a therapist or talking to your pastor or priest, but it is connecting with people. I just read a study by the U.S. Surgeon General. He put out this advisory a couple months ago that said that isolation and loneliness is like a public health crisis right now which goes hand in hand with increased suicide rates. And so it was all about like, we've got to connect and virtual connection isn't always the answer to making that happen. So when we are really stressed, when we are struggling, it's super important to have that one or two people that you can connect with. Even if you don't tell them all the things, even if you don't open up and talk about all the stuff that's bothering you, just go do something with them, you know, go fishing, go for coffee, go out to eat, go check fields together. Just being around someone else in a positive way is really huge for coping with stress. Yeah. And I would kind of add to that, that I, I know we get caught up, especially the farmers that are dealing with livestock and row crops, you know, some of them, you know, because we have meetings, especially all winter long, And I hear that a lot. Oh, I can't get away from the farm. I can't get away from the farm. I am just going to say, and I I feel like you would agree with me. I'm going to tell you right now, if you're listening and you feel like you can't get away from the farm, you need to get away from the farm. Drop the phone, get in the pickup. We've all have nice fancy pickups now because commodity prices were pretty good last year. Get in that pickup and (laughs) and go do something and, and leave the phone off. The farm will survive a day without you. That is so true. So true. We get on this pace and we feel like if we don't keep up that pace, that we're lazy, we're not good managers, we're, you know, not being efficient. But, you know, if you just step back and look at it, like you are the most important asset on your farm without you being able to operate and manage that farm. What happens? Nothing good. Yep. It goes away. Yep. It goes away. And so when you think about what you put into the health of your animals, what you put into the health of your crops, the health of your soil, the maintenance of your vehicles, it's like, where do you fit in? in that long list of caring for your assets because you should be at the top. Yeah. It's interesting that you bring that up. And and earlier you mentioned, you know, maybe lay off the energy drinks or the extra can of pop (laughs) or whatever. And that's, you know, we sit there and we're like, Oh, you know, I've got to feed the cattle. And, and, and so we specialize in a better way to farm. We specialize in feeding crops, right. And, and how to fine tune Mm -hmm. that. And here we are, then, you know, you're the person that's out there and, and you're probably the, the least healthy out of your livestock yeah. and your yes. row crops, which is probably not good. And it's also interesting because if we see something going down with our crops and they're not looking right, that agronomist or crop consultant is called immediately. If our animals or something's going on with our animals, there is a veterinarian or nutritionist there right away. But we tend to be like, we don't need to go to the doctor for that, or I'll get over it by myself, or I don't need to talk to anybody, even though, like from a mental health perspective, we could be so depressed or anxious that we're not sleeping, and it's debilitating, but we don't go get help. But we treat our 
farm so differently. So it's just interesting to kind of parallel the two. Yeah. And, you know, we talked about this again, kind of off air a little bit, but an interesting study that was done by the University of Illinois talked about how in the the farming community versus basically just the general population is that suicide rates are twice what they are in that general population. But but you kind of brought that up um, with your study that you talked about. I'm going to call it extreme isolation, kind of, sort of go to the coffee shop in the morning. But generally, we're we're working, you know, by ourselves or in very limited crowds. That number is is very very scary and and unfortunately very real. That study was just published in December, just a few months ago. So that is very very concerning. But when you talk about kind of building this network, uh, I'm going to try to ask two parts. Most of it's about family. But when you see this family dynamic, how does that kind of change our network? And then what are your thoughts on relying solely on your your partner or your family to kind of help you through that? Where do you see the family dynamic and the, and the kind of the stress that that adds in relation to trying to figure this all out mentally? Oh, that is a really big question. So I'll tell you the number one call I get from farmers and ranchers, it is around stress related to relationships. But what's underneath that is all of the stress and pressure from managing the farm and all the uncontrollables, you know, the weather, the markets, the whatever, whatever. And that comes out in, you know, our individual stress manifests itself in our relationships often. And so, you know, the first thing we started, sometimes the spouse is not the right person to debrief stress about the farm with, because they either don't get it, they have too much on their plate to add more, they want to find answers when all you're needing to do is talk to somebody. So that's a discussion that needs to be had. It's like, is your spouse or the people you're farming with, often they're the ones you're having the most issues with. So they're not necessarily seen as good sounding boards for your stress because they're seen as the cause of the stress. And so it can get really tricky when you're working with family, you're living on the farm, those relationships are tenuous. So it is important to have sometimes that outside neutral person coming in. And the one thing I'll say about relationships that, I mean, that's a very deep, long conversation all by itself, but relationships and stress, I guess this kind of pertains to both, is that when we get really emotional about something, so when we're stressed, when our anxiety is high, when we're frustrated, when we're overwhelmed, there is a piece of our brain, a little piece of our brain called the amygdala, and that is firing really big emotions are big. When that is firing, the part of our brain that thinks and can make decisions and be rational and can prioritize and problem solve shuts down. It is interesting. In fact, there's a name for it. It's called the amygdala hijack. And you can look it up, look at YouTube videos, whatever. But basically what happens is like a teeter-totter. If emotions are up, calm, rational thinking, problem solving, down. So we want to go calm and rational, like a level teeter-totter. So when we are already stressed, we're interacting with 
family members who we also often work with, it is easy for those conversations to escalate and end up in a uh, moving in a bad direction very quickly. And so it's important for us to know what's going on. Like we're having a stress response, we're emotional, the calm, rational part of our brain is shut down. So sometimes it's not a good time to have a conversation. We need to calm down. We need to go for a little walk. We need to take some deep breaths. We need to process with somebody else. But just know that. Know that if you're escalated emotionally, not the time to try to solve a problem or work out a situation because your brain's not working. That part of your brain is just not working. What are the suggestions you have for the clients that are with us today and they know that that's an issue and they can they can see that because it's hard it's sometimes it's hard to recognize but if you can recognize when that that emotion gets kind of flared up and and you can feel it what's the best advice that you can give someone to express to the partner the spouse the dad mother son daughter that they need to do that, that they need to take that pause and um, come back to revisit the you know conversation? Yeah, really good point. Good question. I would keep it simple and even just say something like, my stress level is so high right now. I'm not able to even process this. I need a little time. It can be like this. This is not a good time for me. Let's come back at later. Let's come back to this this afternoon. Just something that lets them know, and they might keep on, they might keep on talking. You can't control that. You just control your response and your reaction and just reiterating to them, like, you know what, I'm, I'm not in a place right now where I can manage all of that. So if you give me a little time, let's come back to it where we can talk really calmly and rationally. Otherwise, there's no progress. You know, it's just like things are said there's hurt feelings, there's escalated conflict, but you don't get anywhere and all that. You know, it's important to understand you can only control yourself, your response, your reaction, you can't control them. So put the focus on you and what you can do and make decisions based on that. Yeah, you can only control yourself. I absolutely love that. That to me is something that I've even had to tell myself recently that, you know, there's some outside things here that, that I can't control and I need, and, and that needs to be okay. I just need to be able to control what's going on within me process that, you know, that direction. So that's, I absolutely, I absolutely love that. That's fantastic. When we talk about coping with stress, that's kind of the biggest thing is when, we're taking the hits from weather or prices or interest rates or whatever the case may be. A lot of times that's what we focus on. Like that's where our thinking goes and we can't do anything about it. And so we end up with this elevated stress over something we can't do anything about. So we need to shift our thinking to what can we make a plan around? What can we control? That's where our mental and emotional and physical energy needs to go. If we let it be on the things that we have no control over, whether people, whether weather, whether prices, we're going to spiral downward. Yeah. And along those lines, you know, I, I did have a mention a shameless plug about our Facebook page and, and all that stuff, but we do have several social media platforms that we're out there on. And so um, Karen shot out the message 
to the our followers uh, followers of those social media pages and and kind of along those lines but ultimately when it just comes to boundaries in general yeah maybe it's boundaries uh, between family members or whatnot but how do you set healthy boundaries and kind of holding to those because I, I think every single day, every single choice that's made is probably a boundary <laughs> that we are either allowing or are not allowing to happen. But that was probably the number one question that they all asked when we said, Hey, we're going to have Monica on here. Uh, you know, what's the thing that we should be asking about? And yeah, it was overwhelming working with family that work life balance, but ultimately just about setting those healthy boundaries. Yep. Yep. Boy, it's tough. And sometimes the easiest boundaries we can set are physical, like literally walking away from someone, not being in someone's presence, cutting them out of our lives. They're actually some of the easiest ones. The boundaries that are tougher are the people that are in our lives and they're not going anywhere. We need to then set emotional and mental boundaries around them. Meaning, If they are saying things to us that are not helpful, they're hurtful, they're condescending, do we take that in like a sponge or do we set ourselves up to be indifferent to it, to walk away, or do we engage and try to battle it out? Or, you know, sometimes the emotional and mental boundaries is just letting it go, walking away, even if it's walking away like mentally. Those are tough. And I would say that most often the people that we struggle with the most, we give them the most time mentally. We think about them all the time. We talk about them all the time. We position ourselves to engage with them when really they probably need to be relegated like to the back of our bus where they're in our lives, but we're not giving them a lot of mental and emotional energy. So sometimes setting boundaries is not reacting. Sometimes setting boundaries, what I hear people say is like, they're always pushing my buttons. Well, we need to own our buttons. We put our buttons out there to be pushed. Yep. And so if if it's a person that's pushing your buttons, you know, don't put your buttons out there in front of them to be able to do that. And what that looks like can be varied, right? Even with our kids, our adult children, we have to set up boundaries sometimes. Are they taking advantage? It's like, nope, I'm that's not okay with me. And this is how this household is going to run. Or these are the hours that work for me. Or these are the conversations I'm willing to have without someone else being present. Or we're not talking about this during family holidays. Look at what's not working. Like what in those relationships are causing you stress and tension or uncomfortableness and kind of work from there. It's like own your piece of it. And if you don't like what's happening, what in that do you control? And that's going to tell you the boundary that needs to be set. And I think people often see boundary setting as aggressive or it needs to be done with a lot of emotion. And it doesn't. It can be done very calmly, very rationally, and you can be assertive without being aggressive. So it's a challenge. And I, I, you know, some people are really super good at setting boundaries and they're just like, nope, not tolerating that. Nope, that doesn't work for me, whatever the case. And I don't know, you know, I come from the Minnesota nice framework. And so it's tough to set boundaries, but 
then you can't complain about things stressing you out if you're not setting the boundaries you need to set. Right. There's something to be said about giving the shirt off your back, but maybe if it's like negative 40 degrees out, maybe you should keep your shirt on. <laughs> you know what I mean? I Go rustle up another shirt. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. I've got to give a, a shout out to Warren. You know, I, I thought it was interesting. Got a notification on social media and Warren had posted in one of the groups that we're in. And and I think it was very profound. And and I also love the fact that I don't think some coincidences are coincidences. Um, you know, I'm just going to admit that I think God has a sense of humor. And it was interesting that Warren posted right before we jumped on here. He said it was two simple words, but he said it twice. He said, hurt people, hurt people. You know, it's just like that's so profound in those two words that you say over again, because that goes into that, I, I, even on the boundary thing, or, you know, trying to find some space where you can process this stuff. If, if you are hurting, you're not helping and you need, <laughs> you need to realize that, that you need to get help and not hurt anymore. That is so true. And, and many times it's helpful too, for the person being hurt to think about that, like separate it out. It's not me. It's that person has their own whatever that they're dealing with. And I happen to be the victim of that coming out of them. And so boundary setting time, right? Is this somebody I should be spending time with? Is this somebody who I should let their words infiltrate and hurt me? And that's hard when it's someone close to you. Because sometimes it's the spouse that's doing the hurting. Sometimes it's the parent. Sometimes it's kids or, you know, people you you're close to is not easy. So I'm going to mention a comedian, Robin Williams. You know, when you look at some people outwardly, you can't see that hurt inside of them. So do you have kind of a a way to kind of see that from the outside or, or how would you recognize if you have a, a friend or a family member, some loved one that you care about, how can you, you need to approach them when you see that, but how can you quote unquote, see that in them? Yeah, that's different. Every month I facilitate a farm suicide loss support group. So if any of you are, have lost someone to suicide and you're looking for a, a group of fellow loss survivors to connect with, you know, let me know. And we hold our group every month over Zoom. Um, People from, you know, different states are there, different situations. That's something that comes up a lot, Tyler, because they look back and they think, I didn't see this. Why didn't I see this? And there's that survivor's guilt that happens. But there are some key things to look for to see that someone is emotionally struggling, potentially suicidal. One is just overall, are they changing from how they have been functioning? Is their hygiene changing? Are their habits changing? Are their risk-taking behaviors changing? Are they showing signs of depression, hopelessness? I mean, I've worked with dairy farmers that were missing milkings because they just couldn't get off the couch to get out there and milk. They were so depressed. Is their substance use increasing um, or, or drugs Uh, alcohol or drug use increasing? Are they withdrawing and isolating? Those are kind of the key things. And specific to farms, are they talking about liquidating 
like selling off land, livestock, equipment. And that like has not been part of the plan. So the person hearing it is like, that is news to me. That's a warning sign. If the general state of condition of the farm site, fence lines, equipment, land is deteriorating, that's a sign. This was a farmer who used to keep things up. They were on top of their weeds. Their equipment was running well. And now we're seeing they're not getting into plant. Their corn is standing through the winter. You know, they're just not on top of it anymore. What's going on? Anyone that has experienced a recent loss is that is more um, at risk for suicide. So it could be a divorce, death of a child, a farm accident that maybe they lost a limb or some of their functioning to be able to do what they used to do. Losses come in many forms, right? Maybe the loss of a dream. They don't have that next generation that's going to take over. So it's like, I'm it. Then what? So uh, losses in general. And then when you notice something, a lot of people are like, well, I don't know what to say. I don't know. I don't want to offend them. I don't want to act like I'm, you know, getting in their business. But it can be as simple as going to that person and just reiterating to them what has caused you to have concern. Like, hey, I've just noticed the crop isn't in yet or you haven't started harvest yet or I noticed I haven't seen you in church for a while. You know, I heard about the divorce, whatever it is, reiterate to them what is causing you concern and just ask them, you know, are are you at all thinking about suicide? Because I need to make sure that you're going to be okay. Not an easy conversation to have, but I tell you what, with farmer suicide rates being double what the general public are, most of which are, are male, we've got to ask the question, we can't turn a blind eye. If we have any inkling of concern, we've got to reach out and ask. And there's a few chosen people that can infiltrate the isolation of a farmer. And those are a business people, fellow farmers, like someone like me is not necessarily going to be able to get to them. But you all that work with them can get to them. And so it's important for you to ask that question. So with that being said, Knowing that that we are very isolated, very kind of male dominated, and those things kind of lead to to that. For that person that's listening, how, how would they get access to some mental health resources? Because they may be limited, especially in, in a rural environment. Again, you don't want to leave the farm and you're an hour and a half from quote unquote the city. Where do you have some of those resources or, or where can those those clients, those, those people, where can they find access to that information? One that, and I know we have people from all over the country here. So one really good resource is Farm Bureau has a link on their website. It's called Farm State of Mind. And they have actually created nationwide list of mental health resources by state. So you can search by state. And some states have actual like counselors listed and some it's very general like maybe it's a hotline or something but it's a place to start right if all else fails too there's 988 988 is like the new crisis hotline it used to be a 1-800 blah 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 number they changed it to be simple so if your anxiety is like spiking if you're in panic if you just feel like you can't handle life you don't have to be suicidal to call 
but you can call 988 and talk to a counselor right there. And then I would just say a lot of states have put together resources around counseling for egg or have like a farm hotline. So in Minnesota, I'm legislatively funded. I meet with farmers and ranchers every day at no cost to them. That's Minnesota's program. There's two of us, myself and Ted Matthews, that do that work. Wisconsin and some other states have a voucher program where farmers can access like a voucher and there's participating providers that will meet with you either virtually or in person. And so I really encourage you, wherever you're at, you can jump on like your extension, state extension website, your state department of ag website, or that Farm Bureau, Farm State of Mind, and kind of peruse what's out there. I will also say you can call me. And if I'm not the one to work with you, I can help you find somebody. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I'm just going to throw this out there that this is something that I recognized in myself probably about six months ago. And so is actually my counseling appointment uh, with my therapist as well. And, And I'm telling you right now, if you're listening to this, the feeling that you get and and kind of the the release or the ability to to relieve that stress that comes off of you when you can sit down and you can talk with a professional yes we want to rely on again maybe it's the the spouse or a parent or something like that but to be able to sit down with a true professional that can help you walk through some of the things that you're dealing with it is far and above anything that you would do to to hold that in. So I'd highly, highly recommend that you go check out some of those resources. Monica, you mentioned to for, for them to get a hold of you. So right now, as we kind of wrap this thing up, I want you to share wh- whether it's that phone number or uh, I know you have a website with some contact information and stuff on there. So where do we go to get a hold of you? I'll just get my website because that gives people my phone number or they can email because I know some people would rather text or email versus call. So the website is eyesonthehorizon.org. And yeah, there's a contact form on there. Otherwise, my my phone number is on there. My email is on there. My social media sites are on there. So I'm easy to track down. Yeah, eyesonthehorizon.org. Yeah, absolutely. Honestly, even if you just Google it real quick, all that information will come up as well. So Monica, thank you very, very much. I know that we've both got to jump off of here and move to our next deal, but thank you so much for the time. Thank you so much for the help. I am going to mention that I know insurance will cover those counseling sessions. And so just let me know where I need to send my information because I feel like I just had an hour long session with you, which I very much appreciate. (laughs) Maybe the first one's free. I don't know if that's how that works. Sure. We'll go with that. (laughs) But thank you very much for everything. I greatly appreciate it. You take care and uh, I hope I'll be seeing you soon. All right. Thanks for having me. As we thank Monica again for being on with us today, I'm going to share that website one more time. Eyesonthehorizon.org. Go check her out. Send her an email. Send her a message. Give her a call. And hopefully she can provide the support that you are looking for. And again, we thank you for the love and support you give us. But we appreciate all that you do for us. And as always, we hope that you have a better day. You're listening on the Verbal Crowd Network. Find more great shows at verbalcrowd.com.